and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast put on by three dudes who work at a classical school in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Uh, I am Thomas Magby. At least for when we started recording this. As of right now. Yeah, as far right as I know. Yeah, seriously. Are we some kind of pink school. slip? Is that what I'm Who knows what could right happen now? in the next hour? Yeah, seriously. So I, my name is Thomas Magby. I'm the Dean of Student Life at Veritas Academy in Austin. I am joined, as always, by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. This guy right here. And another guy, Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hey! Hello. So, guys, I tried to come up with a witty introduction, and it went very poorly, but... And I had lots of thoughts go through my head, but I'm not going, you know, I'm kind of indecisive is what I'm trying to say. And I'm kind of planning on, I'm just going to ramble for a little bit because I can't really take any action because I can't determine like what the next thing I should do is. Um, so I will fight you, sir. <laughs> I will fight you. Graham, do you have any like advice for like what like well, indecisive, like maybe kind of like young? Yeah, I'm the youngest we, guy on the podcast. Can we pause first. We promised to tell oh, oh, our oh, Patronus oh, oh, and oh, house was oh, oh, oh. so embarrassing in Harry Potter. Why? Why is this embarrassing? Because I got a lame one. Well, so then, do you want to go first or last? What do you- I got for my house, uh-huh. since we're talking about personality tests last time, I got the nerd house. What's that one? Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. No. I got Ravenclaw. No, the Ravenclaw. What is that? Doesn't mean we're like Ivy Tower, like kind of jerk holes. No, Slytherin are the jerks. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Ravenclaw, so, isn't it pretty nondescript? Yeah. Like great. every character they don't really care about yeah. goes in Ravenclaw. Oh, yeah, the well, only, there you go. Yeah, so they, I got the like purple house. Hufflepuff has the cuties. Yeah. yeah. That. So I got in the house that like they just have to, you know, shuffle all the like bland vanilla characters into. I feel like, yeah, you're like the like middle class. Yeah, I know. But my Patronus <laughs> was a beagle, which I'm kind of thrilled with. Because really? they're the smart dogs, but they're also a really disobedient that has that does nothing to do with me. I have not even yet hit my teenage rebellion phase, and I'm 35. So, well, one day uh, I'm waiting to see it. I can't wait till 40 rebellious smoking, like kicking smoking in the bathroom on the table. Is that your plan? That's how you're gonna be. <laughs> That's rebellious? my rebellion. Good Don't tell me I can't vape. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, 40 year old vape. Okay. Uh, I was put in the house of Gryffindor, mm. so they have correctly recognized my valor, <laughs> your nobility, sure. and then my <laughs> Patronus is a vole, which I had to look up and appears to be a small mouse-like creature uh-huh. that is adorable and very tiny. It's accurate. But it's very noble. It's like very re- noble. Like how do you know a vole is... No- how can they even be noble? In, re- in, in Redwall, they're very noble. Yeah, really? really? I, I have no idea. I don't remember the voles in Redwall. My house... Banker Magby. <sighs> this is... Okay. My I was, I was placed in the house of Slytherin, <laughs> and my Patronus, I believe I referenced last episode, is an Irish wolfhound. Wall Street. Oh. Well, I, <laughs> it's a bull. He <laughs> comes out going, bye, bye, go, yeah, bye. Yeah, a bull bear. Anyway, I feel like Slytherin is an apt description, so anyway, here we are. A bull bear. That would be a pretty interesting... A bull bear? Why, yeah, why do we have to let the internet tell us what our Patronuses are? Oh. I feel like... We is there a combination of a bull bear? That's... Is there an animal that is the combination? A bull and a bear. Yeah, like a legendary bull bear animal? No, when I search that, all that comes up is the bull Soccer market. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess we get to name a new mythical creature. I don't know now. what this is. Um, <laughs> when I search bull bear animal, the first result is compare bull versus bear in face-to-face fight, and it gives like attributes for Sounds bulls awesome. and bears. Anyway, looks like the bear would win. Oh, man, that's a tough one, though. Uh, that is a tough one. Bull's got horns. Well, they've been wrestling internally in the stock markets. So. Oh, am I right? Well, yeah. Bulls have a higher force rating. They each have equal technique. Jedi. Oh, but Who the is rating bears. Just, this bears is just have like random teenagers. Bears have higher this. intelligence, so they could probably outsmart. This is the weirdest. Very strange. I so haven't. my question is: If you were to combine the bull and the bear, what would each part be? Would it be like bull head, bear body, or like front half, back half? 
I like top half, bottom half. All right. We got a podcast to do. Hey, speaking of podcasts. So back to my really funny joke about being indecisive and not knowing what to do. Uh, Graham, do you have any advice for me so, on how to, how, how to handle that? Friends today, we are going to be talking about Shakespeare's play Hamlet. Um, uh, a play about an indecisive prince who has a pretty big moral decision he needs to make in his life and doesn't really know how he can make it. But the other fun part about Hamlet is it's a play that really um, has you ask the question, like, when do you know you're being lied to? Or um, how do you actually yourself make decisions? How, what's, what is your sort of decision-making matrix? How do you know when to, when to do things? Um, a very good podcast put on by Andrew Kern and Friends, which I can't remember what it's called. They did a, a reading of Hamlet. I think that's the name of it, Kern and Friends. Kern and Friends. I wish so um, much. That'd be a great And uh, they did a reading of Hamlet. This was a number of years ago. And they, um, uh, as they were talking about it, I think uh, realized that every single scene has a character trying to convince another character to do something. Hmm. And he's using their words and he's using argument and rhetoric to try to convince that character to do something. So should we tell Hamlet that the ghost of his dead father is here, yes or no? You know, or should we, um, um, yeah. So there's every scene has a character trying to convince another character to do something, which led either Andrew Kern or somebody else on their podcast to say that it is a book talking about the power of rhetoric, talking about how to use words to, to have people, to try to get people to decide things. That's one of the sort of, I mean, it's not what the story's about, um, but that's... that's um, do, you, do you think that's an accurate reading? Because they say the exact same thing about the Iliad. I, uh, yes, I think so. I, I, I've taught this book seven years in a row now, and every time I read it, it really is a book about decisions. It's a book about decisions. It's a book about how do you make decisions, how are you convinced of things, and how do you... How do you process information when you can't really trust the source of the information? Mm. How do you be skeptical and how do you not be skeptical? When do you just sort of move forward on faith and when do you have to gather all your data points? Um, so it's like a book about like information, lies, skepticism, deceit, and, and how you, if you live in a time where all those sorts of things are flying around, how do you be the good man? Does that mean that it's, it's it's a book about rhetoric? I don't know. Because I think you, if you come to it with that idea, you're going to see rhetoric spots. Sure. Just as if I come to it thinking it's a book about one character dominating another, or maybe a book about love I or so. duty. Like I'm going to find those spots and think every. But it's it's it's, it's, object, it's objectively duty. it's like not a book about. Uh, about like love it's not yeah. a book about so, school so you know it's not a book about except that hamlet is compelled by love of his father to avenge his father and it is love of his mother that makes him spare her and and the love between the father and the mother that complica complicates things with the it's uncle okay, fine it's not a book like, about romance sure it's not a book about romance but i think coming in coming into this with a certain perspective, you're going to find those things. Yeah. Or just to say, the book Whatever. is about many things. The book is about many things. Yeah. Go listen There's to their defense. There's plenty to find. Go right. listen to their defense about rhetoric if right. you want to get all your, your shorts in a wad. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Hamlet. So. That's how I arrive. Um, <laughs> shorts wadded. All wadded up. Um, so it is about Denmark. And does any of you, any of you guys know what is historically sim uh, significant about Denmark? Nothing. That is the correct answer. Thank you. Um, there is nothing historically significant. Is that actually the answer? That I was just trying answer. to be snarky. Wow. No, no, there is nothing. Uh, in other words, it's about a kingdom that doesn't really have that much sway in the geopolitical sphere of like medieval Europe. 
Like, it is a kingdom. It has a king. There are people who are beholden to that king and think that that king is divinely uh, righted or has the divine right of kings to rule them. But we're not talking about France and England. We're not talking like Henry V, where the entire geopolitics of, of a continent are hanging in the balance with this battle. No, we're talking about Denmark. The, the rise and fall of the kings don't really matter. So have that on one hand, that the rise and fall of the kings don't really matter. And on the other hand, it's a story about a big political game of power. So as the book starts, um, we find out that Denmark, the kingdom, has captured and taken over a large section of Norway. And the way that this happened was old King Hamlet challenged old King Norway to a fight. And in their honor slash foolhardiness, they got into a throwdown and they risked their kingdoms on this fight. It's unclear whether it was like a mano a mano or whether it was like a military fight. I kind of like thinking it was like mano a mano fight, like a like an old fisticuffs. And their empire was on, or their kingdoms were the prize. Old King Hamlet beat old King Fortinbras. Fortinbras was the name of the king of Norway and took over his kingdom and came back and everyone was like, hot dang, old King Hamlet, you are awesome. You just got us a whole new kingdom, like glory days for Denmark. And then... Um, was it the entire kingdom or just the secession of certain lands? It was, it was I thought a chunk. it was just some it was lands. A chunk. It was I don't a know chunk. how much. You're not, it wasn't the entire kingdom of Norway no, gone. It was a chunk. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, probably like the disputed islands or something. Anyway, and so then old King Hamlet, uh, um, we find out that he died. And he was sleeping in a garden and got bit by a snake and then died. Now, that's the official claim, but we're going to realize that that is uh, not as all as it seems. But as the play opens... A bunch of guards are standing on their guard tower, and they're freaked out because a ghost has been seen walking around in old dead King Hamlet's armor and has been just, like, hanging out and coming at the ghost's time at midnight and, like, moving his arms and not saying anything. So they... Um, uh, it starts with these two guards sort of talking about this, and Horatio, who is another... seems like a somewhat noble man, is with the guards, and he sees the king and wants to go and tries to talk to it. And the king kind of like is about to say something and then the rooster crows and then the king uh, disappears into the daylight because ghosts and roosters don't get along. You, you knew this, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Rooster, the herald of the morn, scares away all the ghosts. Yeah. Apparently in medieval... Well, they're pretty crotchety. Yeah. <laughs> in medieval mythology or in the medieval uh, folklore, ghosts hang out at specific times at night. Uh, and then when the rooster crows, uh, it forces the ghosts to go back to whence they came um, because the rooster is the herald of the morn, and it's also the thing that crowed when Peter denied Jesus. I don't know, something, something to do with that. So, um, the ghosts, uh, the ghost has to trundle off, and um, Horatio's like, "Man, I should probably get, I should probably like tell Hamlet this." And you fast that his pops is sort of bonking around. That, in is, the that his dead dad, someone who looks like his dead father, is is hanging around, um, and. This does not bode well for the kingdom of Denmark. When your dead monarch is floating around, um, ghosts usually don't hang out when things are all hunky-dory. Um, ghosts tend to hang out when something bad's happened. Is there is there any question in the play as to whether the ghost is real? Oh, there is definitely a question. Not whether the ghost is real, because there, people see it, mm -hmm. but there's definitely a question as to whether what the ghost is saying is true or not. Ah, that's good. So actually, this brings us to an interesting, maybe something we should put off at the top of the story. There is dramatic irony. Do you guys know what dramatic irony is? Where we know something, the characters don't. That's right. So you're watching a horror movie, 
and the the one um, character, one the one dispensable character is like, whoa, what was that sound? <laughs> I'm gonna go check the woods to see what happened. And we all sitting in the audience all say, oh, he gonna die because mm. we know it. This is the classical, like, don't go into the shed. Yeah, don't yep, go right, into the yeah. shed. And he's like, oh, what was that noise? And he goes, and then he is <laughs> Instead of murdered. calling the police and leaving, I'm going to investigate by myself. myself. <laughs> you stay here and I'll go look. Um, and then the monster or the alligator or the hillbilly or whatever is in the woods kills him. Yep. We all know this is happening. It's called dramatic irony. We know the character doesn't know. And it's it adds some sort of tension and has you sort of be invested in the play or in the scene in a very different way. Hamlet is almost like reverse dramatic irony. We as the audience, there are certain things in this play that we as the audience never know, but the characters do. Hmm. Did Hamlet and Ophelia have a love affair? We never know. Did Queen Gertrude... Hamlet's mom, was she in on the murder of old King Hamlet? We never know. Is the ghost actually the ghost of Hamlet's dead father telling Hamlet true things or a demon sent to trick Hamlet to get Hamlet to do mischief upon, you know, to to get Hamlet's head all twisted around because he's sort of sad, low-hanging fruit? We never know. There are all sorts of ways that you can read the story that you never know if... Um, are his friends for him or against fr- him? Are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern like just seeking after? Are they self-serving? They're Hamlet's best buddies. Yeah, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, Hamlet's best friends. Are they just self-serving to try to get on the king's good side? And they say like, if that means screwing over Hamlet, so be it. Or are they actually eager friends of Hamlet trying to help out a buddy who's going through a dark time? Um, Is and then the gravedigger actually smart or not? Oh, he's just he's, he's pretty smart. Yeah, he's pretty smart. He's, he's pretty, pretty smart. So. Um, we just have all of these questions. So that leaves you as an audience member, when you're watching this play, you yourself need to make decisions about how you feel this play should be interpreted based on the information given to you, but you're not given enough information to be 100% sure. You don't have Ophelia coming to the front, looking at stage center and giving a soliloquy on her and Hamlet's love and the love that they used to share. You don't get that. Forsooth, at 13, we yeah. made our first in kiss. Yes. Like it's, yeah. yeah, you don't get any of that. So you don't get enough information. So you have to make your own interpretations about what you are reading or what you're observing in a play based on information that could be taken almost in opposite ways. Hmm. When you start realizing that this is at play, it's kind of masterful yeah. how that every single line can be read almost as the opposite of each of itself. So that, that was actually one of the criticisms of... Hamlet. There, there are folks out there who think rather than being his great masterpiece, Hamlet is one of his old. worst plays mm-hmm. because, because there's answer. so much we don't know. It seems yep. kind of haphazard and thrown together because a lot of the things are never answered. Mm-hmm. And it's been implied by scholar, by some scholars, not definitely not all of them, that this wasn't an intentional thing by Shakespeare. He just ah. needed to get a play done and he didn't take the time sort of to actually tell together. the story. Yeah, he sort of threw this thing together and then... Yeah, but if this is his slapped together play, then it just proves he's a master. You know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. think, you know what I mean? I think the very fact that like we as the audience don't know what... don't We, we know what's going on, but we don't know why everything's going on. Um, and that sort of is the same boat that Hamlet himself is in, I think is is yeah. too good to be accidental. Mistake. Yeah. Anyway, so um, the first scene, Hamlet comes in. The, the news, and we realize there's a new king, King Claudius. Hamlet's uncle 
has married Hamlet's mom. And as we find out, it happened like a month or two after the death of Hamlet's dad. I think it was just two months, right? So a Hamlet who was away at school, he was at Wittenberg doing a grad degree. He was graduate school. Um, comes home to the funeral of his father only to find that his uncle is now marrying his mother. And Hamlet is still wearing his mourning clothes. He's mm-hmm. dressed all in black, mourning the death of his father. And his uncle and his mom are trying to cheer Hamlet up, saying like, man, fathers die. This is just the natural order of things. Fathers die. Kids need to accept it and then just sort of move on and move on to the next joys. And the next joy is that you have a new father, Hamlet. <laughs> Me, your uncle. And Hamlet is so not, not yeah, so, happy with his new stepfather. So not a joy. Not a joy. Right. Um, and Hamlet makes all sorts of sarcastic snide remarks about, you're right, this is a great idea. We can use the, the food from the funeral to furnish the wedding table. Wow. And little, you know, snide remarks that, like that. Um, and uh, Claudius is trying to tell Hamlet to look on the bright side and just to, like, get over your father's untimely death and, you know, sort of move on and... And Gertrude is doing the same thing. Yeah, it's less than two months after his dad dies. I just looked it up. So he's, at the beginning, he's like, two months? No, it's not even two months. It's less than that. And so Claudius is sort of like, I don't understand my new weird kid. Um, And uh, (laughs) Gertrude is just wanting the best for Hamlet and sees that her son is in pain. Um, And sort of, they just kind of are sad for Hamlet and they go off to their new married life. And Hamlet, in one of his first famous soliloquies, he's got a number gives his a famous speech where he wishes, he says, oh, that this too, too sullied flesh would melt, thaw and resolve itself into a dew or something like that. I don't have it in front of me. Um, Hamlet wants to, he basically wishes that he could die. He says, I wish I could just burst into dust and not exist anymore. He says, I don't want to kill myself because I'm Catholic and killing myself is against cath- cath- canon law. So I'm not going to do that, but I kind of just wish I didn't exist anymore. And then he kind of gets all uh, crotchety about the fact that his mom is married to his um, father and that he says that the world is like an unweeded garden. Um, Things just sort of grow rank in time, that as time goes on, the world kind of gets crappier. This is what young Hamlet is sort of saying. And he's looking at this new state of affairs, having come home from college, and he's back into his childhood home, and he's got a new dad, and his mom is married and doesn't seem to be mourning her dead husband, Hamlet's dad anymore. She's sort of off enjoying her new marriage, and Hamlet's like, what the heck? What happened to my childhood? And this is is one of the most... Like em- emotional teenager speeches. Yes. You, he, his, she's mom's like, why do you seem so sad? He's like, it's not seems, mom. I, I am sad. Yeah. And here's here's the little speech he was talking about. It's really short. Oh, that this too, too sullied flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God, God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fie on it. Ah, fie. Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. Right? He's, he's not having a good time. Mm-hmm. And then know? he goes on yeah. and he names, and he sort of talks about the things that have happened. Yeah. And he says, she's married. He sort of muses on the fact that the only reason she's married is because she's bored or she's lonely or she's a randy lady and she doesn't like to have no man in her life. This is Hamlet telling This is Hamlet telling, telling about his mom. Is he talking to his mom? No, he's or, talking to himself. Okay, okay. And so he's kind of, he's sort of realizing, he's like, oh, the only reason mom got married again is because she just can't stand not being with a man. Um, 
and he's he's implying it sexually, but he's also implying it that she's just sort of weak and can't be her own person by herself. But it's kind is, of uncomfortable. But this is your point that we don't actually know if those we are We don't know reasons. if that's actually yeah. true. This is what he thinks. And so Hamlet is kind of bumming around, and then Horatio shows up, and he's like, Hamlet, I saw your dad. And Hamlet's like, yeah, so did I. That's why I came home for the funeral. He's like, no, 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 no. I saw the ghost of your dad. Hamlet says, you show me him right away. So off they go. Hamlet sees the ghost. Uh, at nighttime, the ghost shows up, and Hamlet's like, I need to go talk to him. And Horatio says, wait a second, Hamlet. That could be anything. It doesn't have to be your dad. It could be some demon that has been sent to to trick you. It could, as soon as you and it walk away and go around the corner, it could turn into a giant beetle and and cause you to descend into madness. Um, think about, you know, all these sorts of things. And, and Hamlet tells Horatio to buzz off. And he runs off to, because the ghost, he sees his father and he runs off. And he's like, my, if my dad's here, um, he's going to tell me something important. And um, Horatio... Um, uh, can't catch him. Um, oh, yeah. So let's talk about Hamlet and his dad, and then we'll come back and talk about Ophelia. So Hamlet goes off, and the ghost talks to him and says, Hamlet, avenge my foul and unnatural murder. And Hamlet goes, oh, I knew it. Hmm. Um, turns What the ghost tells him is that I, the king, one day when I was sleeping in the garden, oh, I was bit by a snake, but it wasn't any sort of regular snake. It was your uncle, your Uncle Claudius poured poison in my ear, hmm. uh, and it caused my blood to congeal, which is real gross. That's gross. Yeah. Um, turned my blood into bloody jelly. Not a good And then way I to died, go. and then he married your mom. Ghost says, don't pick on your mom. It's not her fault. Uh, but avenge my death, kill Claudius. And then, but, and then the other thing that the ghost says is, I am in hell, and at nighttime, I'm allowed to leave hell and come to the earth and like roll around on the earth and until you have killed Claudius when once you kill Claudius I can go to purgatory is that what he says something like that the ghost gives let me just look at it the ghost gives something that is clearly not not a thing Christian right. like it's right. clearly yeah. not a medieval thought right like um, let me just see if I can find it here uh, enter ghost oh yes I am thy father's spirit doomed for a certain time certain term to walk the night and for the day confined to fast in fires till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burnt and purged away. Um, but this I am forbid to tell the secrets of my prison house. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood, make thy two eyes like stars start from their spheres. Thy knotted and combined locks depart and each particular hair to stand on end like quills upon the fearful porpentine. But this eternal blazon must not be to ears of flesh and blood. List, list, O oh list. If ever um, didst thy dear father love, revenge his foul and most unnatural murder. So he says, uh, during the days I'm like burnt by fire and I get to wander around at night. Um, so that burn by fire could be purgatory, could be right? The fires of purgatory yes. to purge away his sins. So but it could he, be that like, mm -hmm. he he's. it's not until you do this, it's until the sins I committed during my day are gone. Yes, but then he's coming back and then telling Hamlet to kill to kill his brother. So well, his sins aren't purged away yet. He's, he's still a sinner. He's still sinning, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> right. so he gives this, and then he says, I can't tell you anything about the afterlife. Um, so he gives this like pretty dubious version of purgatory. Yes, my sins are being purged, but I can also come to earth and like inspire you to do more sins on earth. Right. I don't know. Once you're in purgatory, you usually aren't really. You stay there. You right. stay there and you don't really, 
you're not really allowed to care too much about what's happening on Earth. Sure, you can care, but you're not allowed to like. You shouldn't be able to come back and the only th- you know, in, yeah. in, in, in Dante's Purgatorio, the over and over again, the people there are asking Dante to go home and ask people to pray for them. Yeah, but, but none of them are like, "Hey, could you please kill someone?" Yes, for me? yes. Yeah. So Dante, so this ghost is saying, "Go and kill somebody." So, but don't don't we learn he that ghost has at least some information that's true? Like Claudius did kill Claudius. Yes, the ghost is, does give true information. Claudius did kill. Old King Hamlet. We find that out later. That is a true thing. But whether or not this is a ghost of Old King Hamlet or some or a demon sent to confuse Hamlet, we trouble. don't know. Hmm. Because if he is a demon sent to confuse Hamlet, like mission successful, like right. Hamlet does end up getting confused. Um, and Hamlet doesn't immediately question anything about the ghost story about the afterlife. He's just like, oh, that sounds crazy. I'm going to go, I need to kill Claudius. I always knew the afterlife was weird. <laughs> um, there's another element to this that interpreters like to point out and that I have found interesting is that Hamlet is going to school in Wittenberg and Wittenberg is the seat of uh, the, like the Protestant Reformation, uh, one of the co- colleges right. that basically was reinterpreting and relooking at Catholic thought and ca- casting skepticism on all of these, what they would call extra biblical theological mm. positions like, like purgatory. purgatory. So if Hamlet is going to this school that is kind of like the iconoclastic school of its day, the fact that this ghost is now coming to Hamlet and telling him things, and Hamlet is sort of not, he's not dismissing the ghost and saying, you're trying to trick me because what you're saying doesn't fit with dogma. He's saying, Hamlet seems to be the type of person that doesn't necessarily believe in dogma. Um, he, he's more skeptical than dogmatic. Um, so the, the ghost can come and if he is a demon, he's picking on the guy who doesn't believe in dogma, or if he is a ghost, um, he's going to his son and asking him to do something. Does we the, never know. Does the play raise these questions also? Um, only hmm. like does Hamlet ever say, so you say he doesn't question him, the ghost at first, but does he later think, where did this come from? Or? Um, no, but, but Hamlet's, so Hamlet's famous to be or not to be speech has him basically say, who knows what happens when you die? And since nobody knows what happens ah. when you die, that colors and makes cowards of us all. Even though he literally was talking with... Even though he was literally talking with a ghost right. and, like, dogmatically... He does know. You should know right. what happens when you die. Right. Um, but unless you don't believe it. Right. Um, and it seems like maybe Hamlet's someone who doesn't believe it. Yep. So Hamlet's skepticism... So this is kind of one of the big questions that I want to have with you guys at the end of talking about Hamlet is... Um, how useful is skepticism, and at what point is skepticism no longer uh, – is, is skepticism, like, just sort of make you um, uh, um, uh, not numb, what's what we're looking for, um, paralyzed. Mm. Anyway, we'll get there. Yep. All right, so Hamlet's off, and he's saying, oh, I'm going to go kill Claudius. I'm going to go do it right now, which, of course, doesn't happen. <laughs> Meanwhile, we get um, Ophelia. And Ophelia is the daughter of Polonius. Polonius is the right was the right hand man to King Hamlet and is now the right hand man to King Claudius. Um, Poloni- and Polonius and Laertes, his son, are kind of nervous about Ophelia because it's kind of known that Hamlet and Ophelia have kind of had maybe like made eyes at each other. Or there's just sort of rumors that Hamlet's into Ophelia or that Ophelia's into Hamlet and the dad just wants to put the kibosh on it. So Laertes is going off to college and he gives Ophelia a big old speech like, hey girl, don't go with Prince Hamlet because he's a prince. He's got to marry someone more important than you. He's just going to break your heart. And Ophelia's like, that is wonderful sage advice. Thank you. (laughs) 
And then, well, she says, make sure you follow that yourself. Yes, and there, she's like, oh, bucko. dear brother, I do real, and I know that you would not give advice that you yourself would not keep. This is important because either Ophelia is actually innocent Ophelia, and she's like, thank you for that sage advice, and you, dear brother, I know that you would not fall into any such sins as well. Or, or she's like, oh, that's right, I definitely will never sleep with Hamlet <clears throat> anymore, and um, you, dear brother, of course, we all know that you going to college are not going to do that either, right? How you, so if you're the actress playing Ophelia, you got to pick you how choice, you're going to right? how yep. you're going to play her, innocent or like sarcastic. Mm-hmm. I shall the effect of this good lesson keep as watchman to my heart, but good brother, do not as some ungracious pastors do show me the steep and thorny way to heaven, whilst like a puffed and reckless libertine himself the primrose path of dalliance treads and mm-hmm. wrecks not his own reed. <laughs> yeah. So she could say that sarcastically or she, she, or she could, could say, say it very honestly. Very honestly. Yeah. And then the dad comes in and echoes a bunch of good sentiments and tells, gives Laertes a bunch of great fatherly advice, which Hannenberg, I know you were a huge fan of. Oh, um, I, I think this is, I, I love this advice, partially because the advice is really good. It's really good. Like the actual advice, like spun out of context is very good. Unfortunately, it's spoken by a giant windbag. Right. So in um, context, it's... But in context, it's it's laughable. But right. out of context, it's kind of good advice. Yeah. In, and in context, it's I think it's especially laughable because it's coming from such a blowhard and he's probably giving advice that anyone kind of knows already. Mm-hmm. But it's still good advice. And then the other thing is later, the same guy, Polonius, comes and says uh, one of the most famous Shakespearean lines, brevity is the soul of wit. Mm-hmm. But he says it in the longest, the longest speech, speech, speech ever that is not brief at all so polonius basically is saying like ah my boy i try go off to college and be a man and have friends but not too close and lend money but don't borrow it and and uh if you don't get into fights but if you do be the one that ends them and he's giving all this good fatherly advice and then two scenes later he's hiring a spy to go spy on his son because he yep. doesn't trust him um anyway so they both give this advice saying ophelia just stay away from hamlet he he doesn't have your best intentions at heart. And Ophelia's like, okay, I will. And you can read this scene as either Hamlet and Ophelia are having a secret affair, which she wants to keep secret from her family, obviously, or they're not. And we never really know. Um, the very fact that Ophelia kind of goes mad at the end of the play, well, either it's because they had an affair or because Hamlet killed Polonius. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Spoilers, man. Yeah, well, it's a whole play. (laughs) So Hamlet has resolved to kill Claudius and then immediately is beset upon doubts about whether or not Claudius, he should kill Claudius. Um, Because it's a pretty big deal. Like going and killing somebody is a big... uh, That's a step. That's a big step. That's a life step. (laughs) The ghost has made him swear. Um, And then Hamlet... Oh, so he's already said that he will do that. Hamlet has said that he will do it. Okay. Meanwhile... Um, king and queen are, oh yes. So Hamlet has sworn this is going to happen. Um, and then there's a scene where, uh, Polonius is sending the little spy to go spy on his son in college and Ophelia comes in and she's visibly shaken. And Polonius says, Hey Ophelia, what's wrong? And she says, Hamlet came, uh, the most, the strangest thing happened last night, the night of the ghost, Hamlet came into my room and he was all, he looked all crazy and his like shirt was all ruffled and his socks were all pulled down and uh, his hair was all crazy and he had crazy eyes and he didn't say anything. He just looked at me, reached out his hand, made a giant sigh. Oh, he groaned. Groaned and then ran out of the room. And I don't know what that means. Oh, but the way she described, this is one of my favorite scenes to reenact with the kids because he didn't just run out of the room. He keeps his eyes fixed on her, reaches out with his hand 
and then backs, backs slowly out of, yes. out of it is the most without, awkward leaving of the room the most contact. dramatic like thing you can ever think of so now we know that hamlet's doing this because he has vote he has sworn to the ghost that he will kill claudius which is probably going to involve some amount of of you know danger on his own life and by also swearing he swore that he would not care about anything else in this world and then he goes and he's basically giving like this good old goodbye to ophelia so we know that hamlet's got this ghost thing going on and polonius is like well hot dang Hamlet's in love with you, Ophelia. This is why he's so moody. This is why he's wearing black. This is why he won't eat food at the marriage Ah. dinner. Polonius is like, I've got it all figured. I've got it all figured out. So Polonius is somebody who takes the information and immediately makes a conclusion that he thinks is 100% correct and is like kind of wrong. It's kind of right. Hmm. Hamlet maybe does love Ophelia. Um, All the information points to the fact that Hamlet could love Ophelia. And it does actually play out, it does actually put all the pieces together. Polonius is kind of being like a good observational scientist, right? Like, we hear the effects, here's the behavior, oh, the reason of it is Hamlet's love for Ophelia. That makes perfect sense. Well, meanwhile, it's like a supernatural ghost has told Hamlet of this sort of murder and has sworn made Hamlet swear to murder somebody. Polonius didn't factor that into his calculations. <laughs> anyway, so he goes to the king. He's like, I got it. Your son's all weird because he's in love with this girl. And the king's like, finally, that's good work. Let's spy on him. So they're like, all right, Ophelia, here's a prayer book. Sit in this garden and look real pious and pretty. And then when Hamlet walks by, we'll listen to Hamlet talk to you. And Ophelia's like, okay. Um, and she has no, she can't really get out of it. She says, okay. Um, and, uh, Hamlet comes up and Ophelia's sitting there and she's like, you know, how now my Lord, how are you? And, um, um, right. Yeah. So when Hamlet's walking up to see Ophelia, this is when he gives his famous to be or not to be speech where he is sort of freaked out about the prospect of murdering somebody and him probably having to die. Cause if you kill the King, like, you're going to get tried for treason or you're going to throw your nation into chaos or something's going to happen. Um, and Hamlet's sort of musing on death. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against the sea of trouble and by opposing end them. So he's asking himself, like, what makes living purposeful? Why should I live? Um, should I, like... I mean, it's a, it's a suicide speech. Yeah, should I try to to, you know, uh, tackle head on all of the difficulties of life? Or should I just kind of give up? It is suicide, but I also kind of see it as like an, an apathy speech. Hamlet's saying like, what makes actions purposeful? Why do anything? And this is what overeducated college Hamlet is asking himself. Um, he's saying like, what is the point of doing stuff? Because the world is unjust. Like, bad people get power liars win, you know, there is injustice in this world, so why go through all the crap that's going to come your way to try to be the good man, is what he's asking. It sounds like an important, it sounds like a good question It is a good question to ask. And then he says, the only reason why we don't all just sort of give up and like die is because we're scared of the afterlife and we don't know what's waiting there. The fear of the unknown, the undiscovered country makes cowards of us all, he says. That's not a a great answer. not a great answer. So really, at this point in the play, Hamlet's answer to why we do anything is because... We're too cowardly. We're we're too cowardly to kill ourselves. It's this fear of the great unknown. And when I... So it is a very human question, but when I read this question, 
Um, uh, I see it as like, it is the question, the, 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 the question that, um, skepticism brings you to, right? Like, like Hamlet doesn't have a, like Hamlet's mental models of decision-making throughout the play are, I don't know. I'm going to try to gather all my, all the information that I can. And then he realizes that he exists in a world where all the information that he gets, even though he gets it, it is still, he is still unable to parse it out to be sure. Hamlet wants to be a hundred percent sure that Claudius has killed his dad before he does it. Yeah. Um, so can, Ham, so can, yeah. Can I phrase this like, mm-hmm. cause it, so he asks this really great question of why should we do anything? Mm-hmm. Why two choices are do something or die. Mm-hmm. What he's, what he ends up saying is I wish I could just die. Yes. But I'm too cowardly to do it. Yes. And that's almost like, yeah, that's like the worst way that you could answer that question. So Hamlet's reason for existing is I'm too scared to die. To do the thing he actually wants to do. The to do the actually thing that he, uh, to the thing that he knows he should be doing or, right. sh- uh, or that is expected of him. Yeah. So his sort of lack of a cohesive understanding of the universe or of the world or of any kind of th- knowledge of, or any sort of assurance of the afterlife or faith in the afterlife paralyzes him. Yeah. And so then he, the only way that he builds his decision-making matrix in life is on skepticism and doubt of death. And so, not skepticism of death, but his doubt of what happens after death, his fear of death. So you're saying, so is the broader point about skepticism can only take you to that point? Yeah. I mean, I even read Hamlet as like the first kind of, the first modern man, Hmm. like the way that he frames agency is fear is, is through his fear of death and mortality. And if you look at the classical world and the ancient world and the Christian world, this is not how we framed agency. We mm-hmm. framed agency based on almost um, based on sort of objective values that we believed existed in, in the person of God and that we had to conform to those values mm-hmm. and that human agency was moving towards righteousness um, or was trying to be glorious in the ancient Greek world, was trying to be sanctified and moving towards righteousness in the Christian world. Um, and, uh, um, sort of you had a, a mission and a calling and you had you, uh, and that you had a afterlife that was going to be, um, um, a judgment on that, on that living. Christianity had, uh, has sort of two levels of this where the sort of the general overall category of sinfulness is taken care of at the cross, but then you also had this sort of secondary category of earthly righteousness that had some kind of, that has some kind of um, um, a hierarchical reward structure in the afterlife, which is maybe a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamlet has none of this. Right. Um, all Hamlet has is a big black question mark, and he's trying to build his life of how he should act in this world on a big black question mark. And all it does is leave him like depressed and, and inactive. Which is the also, man. Is also the modern, yeah, <laughs> yes. you, you just said this, but yeah. Um, yeah. It, wasn't so, this, you, you spoke the summer. Was it, was yeah, that the, it was, yeah, this summer. Was that the theme of the Yeah, talk? it was yeah. sort of um, um, thinking of Hamlet as, yes, as um, uh, the modern man. And then also um, it was a little bit talking about Ophelia um, but we'll talk about Ophelia in a little bit. Sure. Anyway, so Hamlet is asking himself this to be or not to be question, and then the honey trap of Ophelia is sitting there, um, and he goes, <laughs> now, on, for poor unfortunate... <laughs> honey, now, honey trap? She's the honey trap. Okay, great. But yeah. probably Sweet. against Ophelia's 
wishes. Uh, She's being used by the king and her dad right? to try to get information, information. from Hamlet. Right? But Everybody's trying to get information. We're also presuming that she cares about Hamlet. So finding yes. out what's wrong with him mm-hmm. also is good for her. So Yeah, because she cares about Hamlet. Yep. So yeah. Hamlet comes and he is absolutely mercilessly cruel to her and basically says because she's a woman she only has one good thing about her and that's to make sinful people that's what he says he says all women are good for are to make to be breeders of sinners he says if you want to do anything good in this world ophelia go join a nunnery because then at least you won't make any more sinful people wow and ophelia's like ouch that hurts hamlet um there's a very oh very uh, heartbreaking line where what is she when um um, what would she say? Um, anyway, where we're basically, it's like, bro, it has, uh, here cracks a noble soul, says Ophelia about Hamlet, and that her heart is just so broken in half because of what Hamlet has said. And meanwhile, he's being very angry and dismissive and off he goes. And the king's like, well, Polonius got any other bright ideas? Because he's <laughs> clearly not in love with Ophelia. And Polonius is like, yeah, there's something else going on. Anyway. Um, Hamlet wants assurances that Claudius did the murder. So he decides he's going to put on a play. And on this play, um, he is going to reenact the scene of the murder um, and judge Claudius's reaction. So he's going to have a king get poisoned in the ear by his brother and then his brother marry the wife. And he's going to put on this play and he's going to like intently stare at Claudius to see how (laughs) Claudius reacts to this. All the while being kind of a cad. All the while being kind of a cad. He sort of, for the for the majority, we haven't talked about much about his demeanor this yeah. entire time, but he has been acting super strange. And he's even told his friends, look, I'm going to be acting weird. You, right right after yes. the ghost, he says, he I'm going to be, I'm going to be acting really strange. You can't let on by looks or huffs or by implication that you know that I'm not crazy. He's like, I'm going to be acting crazy. So we also don't know how much of this is legit. Right. Whether he is actually crazy. crazy. Right. Or if it's just this show that he's putting on, right? If he's going to kill his uncle. Horatio doesn't know if he's legit. He went off and saw a ghost and comes back acting crazy. Horatio doesn't know if he's acting crazy or went crazy. Right. And I mean, even with Ophelia, is he separating himself from her to prevent her the heartbreak of realizing she is with a murderer or is he doing it because he actually doesn't love her anymore? Or, and then he's, he throws around all this sass all the time. It's Mm -hmm. not just you know, lovesick, freak out kind of thing. It's also, he makes jokes that are kind of off color and, mm-hmm. and you know, it says some things he shouldn't say in the presence of the king. He's just kind of pushing on all those boundaries in a really not okay way, kind of pushing away his friends, he's, being real strange. He's the kid that left his small town of Denmark, went off to college, came back, and is kind of a jerk to everybody. Yeah. That's what Hamlet is. Yeah. He's, he, and he thinks he's better than the small town. There's definitely some scenes where... Um, like a cannon goes off and he hears a bunch of people cheering and one guy's like, my Lord, what is happening? And Hamill says, that's an old drinking game that they play here. They shoot cannons and they chug their glasses of wine and the first one to finish gets, you know, gets to cheer. I hate this place. <laughs> so he really is like <sighs> from a small town that all they care about is like drinking and he's this like educated college kid that wants to put on plays. It does sound kind of like an awesome tradition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the king even talks about it. He's like, tonight I plan on drinking deep and yeah. he's, they're going to shoot the cannons and drink beer. What? Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. What better reaction to a cannon? Hamlet does not think that's awesome. He thinks that's like... Because he's better than that. He thinks that's like yeah. so small town. So, so he's <laughs> um, a snob. He's a, he's kind of snob. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then he puts on this play and watches Claudius and Claudius gets all flustered and upset and gets up and leaves. And Hamlet's like, got him. Hamlet's like, fine, I now know. I can go kill him. 
um, Claudius himself actually is flustered and goes off and um, goes to church and kneels and prays. And he says, I'm a murderer. And he's like, I know, I'll pray. And then Hamlet comes up fully knowing that Claudius is now the murderer and sees Claudius kneeling and praying. And Hamlet has a sword unsheathed behind Claudius. And he's like, I could kill him. But if I kill him now, he's praying to God. If he's praying to God, his soul's going to go right to heaven. And my dad's soul's in that burning place. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to kill him when he's doing something sinful. <laughs> so he puts his sword away and off he goes, I'll kill him when he's doing something bad. When he's like laying in bed with my mom or when he's drunk in his cups. And we also find out that he, Claudius is actually remorseful. Mm-hmm. And he says, I would repent, but does true repentance mean giving, giving up? up what I earned. Giving up the things I earned in my sin. And since I'm unwilling to give up the kingship, Mm -hmm. I cannot truly repent. So he, Claudius gets, apparently as Claudius gets up from praying and tells the audience, yeah, my prayers are going up to heaven, but my heart's not in them because Mm -hmm. I don't want to give up my kingdom. If I really want to be penitent, I would need to give up my kingdom and like confess to people. I can't just confess to God privately. You can't just confess to God privately and not confess to people and think everything's okay because yeah. you're keeping the you're keeping what you your sins gave you. So mm-hmm. he's like, I guess I'm not going to confess anyway, which means Hamlet could have stabbed him. Right. He doesn't go on to then repent. No, he doesn't repent because you're making it. You're, you're complicating this by saying that Claudius actually has some. He's kind of a good dude, or he, he's trying. Claudius to be. feels guilty, yeah. but he's not going to repent. Yeah, let's put it that way. Okay. Claudius right. knows he did wrong, and he feels bad about it. Right. Feeling bad is not the same thing not as repenting. Same. Right. That, that's totally. the thing. When students say like, "Yeah, I did that thing, and I feel bad about it," you're like, "Well, you're not there yet." Right. Like, you haven't repented. Right. Um, uh, anyway, so Claudius doesn't repent, um, and then Hamlet decides that he is going to kill him later. Claudius is uh, there. Then um, Polonius is like, all right, well, Ophelia couldn't get it out of him. Maybe his mom can get it out of him. So he s- decides to hide behind the curtains in his mom's, in Hamlet's mom's room and have Hamlet talk to his mom. Hamlet goes to talk to his mom. The ghost shows up, but only Hamlet can see it. Uh-huh. Um, Queen Gertrude is getting because the ghost is like stop messing with your mom like don't guilt her into this Hamlet accuses her of all these sorts of things says that she's you know he says some terrible things to his mom about her being married to the king and all she wants is like lovins and um, mom's like what's wrong with you and then Polonius Hamlet looks like he's going to do violence upon his mom and Polonius makes like a squeaking noise he's like ah and Hamlet says what's this a rat and he stabs through the curtain and wow. kills Polonius yeah. Polonius dies and then Hamlet takes his body and hides it in somewhere in the castle. That's going to put a damper on the relationship with his girlfriend. With his girlfriend, yeah. Ophelia. Yeah. So Hamlet murders Polonius, or kills Polonius. Um, the king finds out and says, Hamlet, I think you need to take a bit of a trip. You need to go on vacation. I want you to go and do this, um, you know, sort of hastily thrown together emissary trip to England. You're going but, to England, Hamlet. But- Claudius doesn't want him dead. Claudius doesn't want him dead. He just wants him out of the castle. That's kind of... Turns out the people like Hamlet, oh, which is kind of weird. For some reason. And right. also, the king just recently died, and now there's a new king, and now the king's right-hand man died, yeah. and the people are going to be like, what the junk is happening in Denmark? So he doesn't want another scandal. So he's like, Hamlet, you're going to go basically on timeout, and you're going to go to England. And so Hamlet's going off to England, and the king gets... Um, his best Hamlet's friends, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, we're not going to talk about them just because we don't have time. And he basically gives a letter to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and says, all right, you guys, when you get to England, give this letter to the king. Don't read it. Give <laughs> oh. this letter to the king. And Rosencrantz and Guildenstern say, of course. They go off. Hamlet, in the middle of the night, 
finds the letter of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, decides to read it. It says, Dear King of England, kill Hamlet, love Claudius. So then Claudius does actually want Hamlet So Hamlet dead. does want, Claudius does want Hamlet dead. Hamlet goes, oh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, you snakes. He changes the letter to say, dear King of England, kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, right. love Claudius, reseals it, um, puts it back in their bags, and then and then the weirdest thing happens in the entire play. I'd have to assume that he had that on a new, new piece of paper, because if the king was Just looking at it, it said, please kill, out. and there was like a name scratched <laughs> out, and then wait, it said, wait. like a little, you know. Yeah, a little addendum. Yeah, kill these two guys. Yeah. Hamlet has a has a royal seal. I think he actually steals Claudius' seal. He has yeah. got, or he, it's in the bag or whatever, and he's able to do this. And then Hamlet's boat. This is all off scene. We don't see this happening. Hamlet's boat gets attacked by pirates. Yeah, and Hamlet gets attacked by pirates and joins the pirates. And then the other boat goes back to England. And Hamlet goes on the pirate ship, convinces the pirates to take him back to Denmark because now Hamlet has written evidence that the king wants him dead. And so he's coming back all hot and full with rage. We don't have the pirate scene, but every year as a um, an extra thing for our students to do, we have them write the long lost scene of Hamlet where Hamlet in interact, Iambic Pentameter. In Iambic Pentameter where Hamlet interacts with the pirates. And it's very fun. We get very good scenes. And so if you're one of our seniors listening now, which means spoilers for class like crazy, <laughs> uh, you might want to start beginning on yeah. writing that scene. So Hamlet comes back and he's sort of a focused Hamlet he comes home um, and he decides that he is going to kill Claudius. Meanwhile, Ophelia has gone went crazy. Ophelia has gone mad and because her father is dead and because Hamlet killed her father. And Ophelia is walking around all crazy and saying crazy things, but they are crazy things that are also pregnant with meaning. Mm. So it is unclear whether Ophelia is just completely off her rocker or is now... I wouldn't say feigning madness, but is now using madness to actually say true things about people. So the, the fun thing about Ophelia is if you read the play, every single scene that she is in, she has a reason not to speak her mind. Every scene, she has a reason to be duplicitous in her speech because she is sort of forced by being uh, sort of subservient and a female in this game of power and all the sort of men around her are playing this game of power, she has to play this role of... She has she has reasons to be lying. And now, in her craziness, everyone's like, oh, Ophelia's crazy. She can actually say true things, and right. she says some pretty cutting things to people, but everyone just sort of says, oh, well, she's just crazy. So it's actually really interesting. Um, and so then she's nuts, and... Um, um, and then drowns. She actually doesn't just so much drown is that she sort of falls in water and doesn't try to save herself. She just lets, lets her robes drag her to the bottom while she is singing songs of her childhood and sort of re recounting poetry and creepily. stuff. Creepily? It's yeah, very creepily. Um, there's, I think there's lots to be said about why she's singing songs of her childhood. They're all songs about like, you know, one day my Prince Charming will come and marry me and that kind of thing. And her prince did come and did fall in love with her, but murdered her father like she is not living in a fairy tale right um, she's living in sort of the real cr cruel world and that cruel world has its anyway so she dies and then Laertes is like my dad's dead and my sister's dead and he comes home and he wants to kill Hamlet so Laertes wants to kill Hamlet Hamlet wants to kill Claudius Claudius and Laertes hatch this plan to like get Hamlet into a, a duel and it gets all convoluted where there's a poison sword. And then Claudius is like, if that doesn't work, I'll have him drink this cup and I'll put poison in it too. 
So it, it basically ends with this whole big, like, you know, screwed up, yep. you know, messed up, like, a gong show. Do you ever use that term in the States, a gong show? No. Yeah, we know the gong show. Oh, a gong show is like a big old mess. Oh, okay. Um, it's anyway, from the actual gong show. There was a show called The Gong Show. And if you came and you were doing a bad job, they would smack a big gong and so... <laughs> yeah. So basically, like at the show. end, it's a huge old gong yeah. show. Hamlet stabs Laertes with the poison sword. Laertes stabs Hamlet with the poison sword. The queen gets thirsty and drinks from the cup, not realizing that it's poison. She dies. Hamlet realizes what happens, pours the poison cup down uh, Claudius's throat. Claudius dies. Horatio comes in with a dying Laertes and a dying Hamlet. It's like, my lord, if you're dying, I'm going to die. And Hamlet says, no, I don't want you to die. I want you to live on and tell my story. Tell my story. And then Horatio says, okay. And then right at the end, the son of Fortinbras mm-hmm. rushes in and uh, takes back his lands and becomes king of Denmark. And there, well, are these weirdly, hints, so- there are these little hints that Fortinbras has been on the move, ah. but the king has kind of ignored it because of the present concerns of Hamlet. And I mean, so yeah, that, that's a weird thing going on in the background. So young Fortinbras has wanted his lands back and the King Claudius's solution is to send a letter to that kid's uncle who is infirm and in bed and sick. And he's like, when the older Norway will figure it out, the problem will be solved. Yeah. And then young Fortinbras supposedly is like, okay, I'll go do some more with some people near you. But it requires that I have to walk through your land to get there with my army. Can I do that? Can I do that? And they say yes. And so he, right at the very end, he rushes into the castle. King Claudius would have thought, hey, young Fortinbras is visiting as a friend now, when yeah. really we don't know whether or not he was truthfully invading or not. You know, heads mm-hmm. or tails, whatever, Fortinbras got his lands back because... Right. Yeah. Hamlet made him king. So yeah. what I love about Hamlet, now if you're listening to this, and this is your first exposure to it, you're probably, your head is spinning. If you know the play very well, you know that all that there is all of this levels of complexity. There's complexity to the plot, but what I find very fascinating of it is when you take each and every individual character, they all are all trying to sift through all of the information of the kingdom and try to figure out what is the signal and what is the noise, to borrow a term from a blog. Um, like, what are what is the important piece of information that I need to act on, and what is just the unimportant everyday life stuff that I can, I can ignore? For Hamlet, he thinks the signal is the ghost. For Claudius, he thinks the signal is whatever is bothering Hamlet. Um, um, Claudius doesn't realize the real signal is Fortinbras amassing an army on his borders. Right. Hamlet uh, doesn't realize that um, that he doesn't have a, a way of, of he doesn't have a code. Basically, Hamlet doesn't have uh, uh, um, his code is skepticism. His code is I want to be a hundred percent sure, and I can never be a hundred percent sure. And always follow ghost advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And always follow ghost, yeah. ghost advice. So everybody is trying to disseminate what is true and what is right and what are people's motivations. And everybody's playing a cloak and dagger politics game of power. And when you have those two things together, you are it's going to, like, like um, one of the guards say, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Like that is a recipe for the rotting of community and the rotting of culture and the rotting of family. Everybody has, they're trying to get an angle on each other. Everybody's trying to figure out what is the real story and what is the fake story, who's lying to who. Um, and there's no, there is no like clear, maybe even Fortinbras. Fortinbras seems to be like the clear headed, 
I wouldn't call him virtuous because he's doing, he's avenging, but he is, he seems to be like undivided in his intention. I'm going to come back and take my lands and that is a noble thing to do. Everybody else is pulled and uh, is pushed and pulled by their own oscillating um, uh, inabilities to sort of know what's going on. And Hamlet's has his own problem with inaction, right? He is constantly chastising himself. He's like, Fortinbras just lost some land and look what he's up to. Mm -hmm. And I lost my dad and talked to a ghost and I can't do anything. So it's always this, he, he thinks all this stuff, but the only real action he takes is acting weird, putting on a play and then eventually getting into a petty duel with Laertes. Yeah. Right. He doesn't, and by the end, he's like, really, the the real thing is just being ready instead of taking action. So he does all of this crazy trying to find information, but yeah. never actually does stuff except on accident. So the question I always like to ask my students is, do you think Hamlet would make a good king? Because on the one hand, he's thorough and wants to do the right thing with the right information. But he also won't make a decision until he is 100% sure and can't be sure because you can never be sure. At some point, you need to sort of act on first principles. You can't, you can't prove everything before you act. At some point, you just need to act on a conviction of that something is right to do. So the answer is no. So I don't know. Right? But, but the thing is, he's also like, but he's also thorough enough that you would want maybe someone that thoughtful to be king. Yeah, um, I don't, maybe. Anyway, so... Um, um, so that that, that 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 is like a very fast run through of the play and it's sort of uh, and its main themes um, and uh, there are so many different ways that you can take conversations about the story it is very rich and it deserves your study and it, it is definitely it's one of those study. plays that yields quite a bit even from just studying the individual speeches from studying the characters like I could talk about Polonius for an hour even though all yeah. he is is essentially a blowhard <laughs> Hamlet at the end of the play actually has this line where he says um, um, he basically has a statement where he says, um, God will sort it out. We just need to act. We just mm-hmm. need to be ready to act, which is very different from early Hamlet where he says, I want to be sort of sure of everything. So there is some kind of some growth in Hamlet from inactivity to kind of a f- almost like a faith action. Um, there has been some commentators that have talked about that Hamlet's thoughts on theology go from a sort of a Catholic dogma to a Protestant faith kind of metric, a matrix of looking at the world. I haven't done enough reading of the story to see yeah. if that bears itself of any fruit, but there is a progression of Hamlet that he sort of goes from, um, oh, I wish I could die. I'm not going to, but if I die, I'm going to, you know, it's against the law um, to, uh, we can never really know what we need to do, Horatio, so the readiness is all, is basically what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is that admirable in Hamlet? I still read Hamlet as um, he gets into the modern trap. And the modern trap is he wants assurance, facts, but no um, cos- like no cosmology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Or his cosmology is is one of, like emptiness yeah all right well that's great so this has been classical stuff you should know as always you can reach us by email at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net you can find us online at classical stuff.net you can find us on twitter at classical stuff c-l-s-s-c-a-l stuff 
And I think that is everything. Any, That's it. Anything we got? Do we ever make mistakes? Don't think Any, so. Anything wrong? A thing that I meant to say in the last episode but never did is that the article I referenced many times was Uncovering the Secret History of Myers-Briggs, which is by Merve Emro. Cool. Anyway, so that's kind of a thing I got wrong. Well, this has been great. How's your 2019 going? <laughs> this is awkward because <laughs> we're definitely recording this in 2019. We are a week in and I feel so different. Yes. Our New Year's resolutions are going so well. That's right. That was, I don't know. I don't want to say anything. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, then for Graham, AJ, and Thomas, this is us. This is Classical Stuff signing off. And we will see you in the new year, I guess. Bye. 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 Bye.